Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with technology and legal ops thought leaders from across the ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarran. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. On this episode, I sit down with former colleague and bandmate, Dave Bredesen. Dave's an MIT-educated software engineer turned product manager. Since working and rocking together at Spotify, we catch up over dinner from time to time in New York City. And dinner got really interesting recently, so much so, I knew I had to have Dave come on the podcast to talk about how he's using generative AI in his next startup venture as an entry-level coder, and he's getting his ideas to prototype faster. Dave started painting a picture of a future that I could see with AI. His excitement was contagious as he was making some big predictions on generative AI impacting humanity in the long term and in the short term, becoming better at providing us early drafts of things in fields like engineering, media, design, and art. You know, I've been wondering, will we all be replaced by generative AI? Will it become the new entry-level employee? Or will it scale all of us to create even more and be more productive? All the answers and more in this episode. Hope you enjoy and stay tuned to see if I convince Dave to build a GPT GenBot to run my LinkedIn. Here we are, Clock Talk Live from Brooklyn, New York. So I want to welcome my friend on to Clock Talk, Dave Bredesen. Hello and welcome. Hi, Jen. It's great to be here. It is great to be here. We are in a music studio in Bushwick. Dave, we know each other from our former colleague days at Spotify. You were a product manager there. What was your product area? So I actually came full circle around. I started, I was actually hired to build a team called LTV, which was about predicting lifetime value and behavioral prediction and so forth. I was brought in because of my experience with building kind of data-driven products in the past, analytics products, and I came in full on into the machine learning side of things, which I had been working with in some capacity at my prior job, but then just went kind of full steam on at Spotify. Yeah. So you went in there 2017, full steam machine learning. Yep. It's studying the history, finding patterns in large groups, and then predicting the future with it. Yeah, exactly. And it's predicting the future, but it turns out these things are really good at inferring based on what is already seen, but not that great at trying to extrapolate something out of the box, something it hasn't seen before. It might not be that great at the task. Yeah, it's going to need a few million data points to get it right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, even millions is probably certainly not enough to train something like a personalization algorithm for music. Or I think we'll talk today a little bit about what's happening with GPT and large language models and AI art and everything else. And I mean, we're talking billions and billions of training examples. Yeah. Well, fast forward, Dave, to what we're looking at now in 2023. Is AI seeing daylight? I mean, Spotify is building it into essentially DJ predict your tastes, taste make playlists. Paint me a picture of where AI is today and what we're crossing into a generative AI. I came online with 
machine learning AI in the last few years and getting my brain around, okay, we can point a machine learning algorithm at millions of contracts in the public record and teach an algorithm. This is what force majeure looks like. These 50 words and give them a million examples. And now the algo can recognize that and go, I think that's force majeure. I think that's indemnity. I think that's the counterparty. I think that's a date. We're crossing into something bigger. Tell me your thoughts on generative AI, what it is and what's happening right now. Yeah, well, it's 2023 and it's the boom that we were waiting for. It's unbelievable. (laughs) And I mean that in the truest sense of unbelievable, as in I cannot believe what's happening. It's what we all hoped for with AI and it's all happening faster than we can comprehend. Yeah, this is when I perked up at dinner and said, oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. what? I've heard this in the press and in trades that this is as big as on-prem to cloud or the move society made going mobile with technology. Where do you rank generative AI against those two kind of seismic shifts? It's so hard to say because it's so far-reaching in its applications. You could say going mobile was far-reaching as well. It was more of a platform or a device or a a mode of using something that was already there at the time. We already had the internet. It just became easier to access when we're on the subway or walking down the street. It was a sea change for sure. But I think generative AI has even more potential to impact an even broader area of fields and maybe even have more positive societal impact. And we can argue probably both ways whether mobile had a positive or negative impact on society. Ostensibly, it seems like largely positive, but then, hey, again, I've got a crick in my neck because I'm looking at my phone all day. I think what we're seeing already is as pivotal as what we saw with the first generation of mobile. And I think the potential is many times that of, let's say, the shift to mobile, let's say 20 years ago, 15 years ago. You were teaching me about this concept within AI, is it sub-architecture? Is it how generative AI can work where you have these, are they nodes beneath the hood on something that you can train models to focus on a specific set of tasks or searches or language modeling and then connect these? So talk to me about what you were talking to me about on how you can use them to combine tasks and I think this gets at why this is so damn innovative. Let's start with just what's out there today. So we have ChatGPT4, which I think is already transforming a number of different industries. I think there's a lot of technologies that come out and they're cool. They generate a lot of buzz, but they don't have immediate impact. And I think this is the first time I've seen in my lifetime that something has such material impact from such an early stage that I think five years from now, industry is going to look very different. So I think most people who have played with GPT get a sense for what it can do, being able to answer any number of questions, being able to provide a lot of the world's information at your fingertips, and even the ability to kind of have some basic reasoning power to be able to reason through different scenarios. And I think that in and of itself is extremely powerful. As somebody who's now getting back into coding, I use it as my assistant all day. It's powerful enough today where I can just describe what I want a web page or a backend, a server component to do, and it'll literally write the code for me and work the first time. 
that's a code base library of knowledge and expertise it has learned and can offer you up. So you don't have to remember every single component, every single piece of code, and you're off to a faster or further along running start. Yeah, exactly. That's that's powerful because that means we're going to need engineers for a very long time because they are coding the unknown. Engineers see negative space and go, Let's figure out how to software design something to make utility out of that. And this gets them solving these unknown problems faster. So software engineering, coding, transforming now by GPT, copywriting, marketing, you have in our notes. What are your thoughts there? It can give you a first draft of a copy edit or a piece of copy to put out on a project, a piece of ad, something creative. Yeah, I've seen friends who work in digital marketing already embrace this as a way to write copy, to maybe even proofread copy they've already written or change the tone, summarize it, tailor it to specific audiences. I've seen it do things like assist in media planning, assist with strategies of all types. So it's definitely making a big showing in marketing, advertising, copywriting, and so forth. We're seeing it transform graphic design. I'm seeing a lot of folks' headshots turn into AI-created beautiful headshots. I saw one guy was like a centaur with like a rocker jacket, but half man, half horse. It was really cool and a beautiful picture. Architecture stock photos, animation backgrounds, AI-generated movies. Speaking of industries, this is impacting, going to change. I'm in the legal industry, doing technology, making solutions, innovating how legal folks work. Mm -hmm. Legal is a language industry, strictly. It's all about language presented in court to influence decision and precedent and how the operating system of how people and businesses behave in this world. And it's about influencing language in contracts, which are the written underlying agreements of everything. So talk about These models can read all the precedent in history, read all of a company's historical business precedent, and then go, hey, here's a guess of what you should put in your next agreement based on your last 50 that you wrote, Jane. It's coming to legal. And I see that as really positive. I sometimes joke that the machine learning AI, artificial intelligence, in some of our contract, now legal tech contract startups and technologies, I call them control F on steroids to try to break it down for in layman's terms. I tell the legal folks, this is control F on steroids. It found it already. It metadata tagged it. So you just have to go to where that metadata is stored and go, okay, that's the counterparty field. Okay. There's my indemnification paragraph. You're not going to control F your way through a word doc or a PDF anymore, but this isn't control F on steroids. It's almost like a super junior drafter can say, hey, how about this? How about this? Like someone new out of college or law school, you have to give it a lot of feedback. Today you do. Who knows what this looks like in a year or two? I think this idea of generative AI or you know, AI that can potentially generate new content, but the idea that you can generate new content, that's, I think, making a big showing right now. I think generative AI art has gone from, you know, barely recognizable a year and a half ago to photorealism today. You can actually generate a photo of a human that doesn't exist that tricks humans into thinking that it is real, that it is a real picture of an actual human. But back to the idea of the application here, 
I definitely see an application here as like an algorithmic legal clerk or paralegal. I think one use case would be having this thing that's been trained on all of the case law of all time and providing question answering as a service. I could know all the case law. So back to this thing you taught me about this sub-architecture. You can have one AI language model over here that knows all the case law of, say, U.S. history mm-hmm. or some kind of global business practice area history, IP law, global, or U.S. law history. And it consumes things from case databases like LexisNexis and Westlaw, all those big databases that lawyers like to draw from, to write from. Then you can have another language model connected over here, only searching my company's precedent, my company's history and how Spotify's done business with Universal Records, how Spotify's done business with five other companies or how Netflix does business with companies. And then you can have another run over here studying something else. And you can get those language models to interact for you, the senior drafter. Yeah, absolutely. And this is an area where I'm actually currently investing some of my time and efforts. And this is an idea that's existed probably for a month and a half. It started with a couple of folks on Twitter saying, hey, I had this idea where we can have a couple of instances of these language models working in parallel. Well, first of all, specializing, each one specializing in a certain task and then working together to coordinate to solve a problem. Well, specifically, there's one out there called AutoGPT, and there's one out there called AgentGPT, and there's one called BabyAGI. Oh, baby. Yeah, baby That AGI. one will do the Google yeah. searches and <laughs> cross all the media, news, public record stuff, and then the agent will do, I'm just making <laughs> terms, but. Well, each one of these that I mentioned has a whole host of specializations and access to other tooling. So Another way that you can make these more powerful is to allow them to then go search the web and allow them to then go scrape the pages that it finds in the search results. And then you can make them even more powerful by giving them long-term memory. So have them communicate with a database. One of the limitations today with these large language models or LLMs is that they only have about 2,000 to 8,000 words of recent memory. Anything past that, it just sort of forgets because it has like a set context. There's only 2,000 to 8,000 what they call tokens or words. So we're talking words in these models versus the human sentient experiences. Words, smells, taste, a sound of a song can bring me back to something. And that's very hard to program probably into a model feelings. Back to your question. Okay, so these new concepts, like let's just call it auto GPT or what people believe here is that this might be the next step on top of these language models towards AGI or artificial general intelligence. So there's a lot of debate right now online as to whether we're going to hit this AGI benchmark. There's also a lot of debate over what it means to be an AGI. The general definition is something like we would have AGI if an AI could reliably do any task that a human can do at human level performance. There's a lot of debate, though, whether we're seeing the beginnings of AGI right now. There's very prevalent influencers in AI who are saying, no, we're not even close. Like, look, this GPT can't even play chess better than a four-year-old. But then there's others who are saying, but look, this thing can program entire systems with minimal human input. No four-year-old could do that. So, of course, it's more advanced. So there's this debate unfolding right now. One thing that we know it's not great at is necessarily like innovating. Like it's not that great right now at producing something that's net new that it hasn't seen before. 
this is where I think this idea of some of these principles that you just mentioned come into play. So picture this. We know what it's like to interact with a single language model. You can ask it questions about the world, about Wikipedia. You can even ask it to specialize in some way, like pretend that you are Eminem, write me a rhyme about sloths, right? And it'll literally sit there and produce a rhyme in the style of Eminem about sloths, right? And it'll rhyme. It'll be a very practical, functional rhyme. Mm. It'll hit the minimum requirements. But nothing can replace, you know, we're sitting in a music studio right now. And after we're done podcasting, we're going to make music. And there's going to be an energy jumping around the room that's in the airwaves of just life and people and being human and on earth. And a computer can't find that and catch that and pull it down. When you're with other people, there's a certain energy above it all. And it could write a functional rap and give you some lyrics for a song. But to write a number one song or something that like really moves and impacts people, that's still a level above technology. Yes and no. I mean, I don't want to say definitively that an AI couldn't write a number one hit. But if people can't articulate how to write a number one song, how could the machine do it? Or could the machine process that much more info behind the scenes, behind us and store the data and read it and store that? One in a million guesses is going to be a number one. That's what we need to see happen. Have you seen the recent news about the Drake song that was produced by AI? No, this is right in line with what we're saying. Yeah. So there's AIs right now that can simulate a voice. It can take samples of any artist or any human and then reproduce that. And you can plug in lyrics, plug in a melody, and it'll sing in the style of whoever you're trying to mimic. And it's gotten actually nearly indistinguishable from the actual person. And there's trained voices out there already for, as I mentioned, Eminem and somebody trained one for Drake. And then they used another AI to lay down the like baseline and drum track, also in the style of Drake. And the whole thing came together. And there's people out there now that are saying this is like Drake, but better than Drake. Right. What? It was better? I don't know if I agree. I don't have a strong opinion on Drake specifically, but this is just to say that it's not out of the question that we're going to start seeing actual hits being made by AI. But again, it's parroting something that's already out there. One of the limitations of AI is that it's not going to generate something completely net new. It's going to be really good at combining things that are already out there. But maybe there's something special about the human condition that gives us the ability to innovate in some way that we can't get with AI. And you mentioned something else, which is this idea of being in the room with other humans and the emotional, the energy that comes from that setting, right? Another thing that AI does not have is a world model. It doesn't know anything about what it means to be a physical being in this world that we live in. Maybe I get inspiration from the studio, these lovely walls in the studio that we're currently in, or maybe I get inspiration from being here with you face to face, right? That's something that you cannot recreate because AI does not have that physical presence. It doesn't have that world model that we talked about. And it doesn't have human emotions. That's what makes the life experience in technicolor, not black and white, is the emotional part and where emotions come from and how they slice across and can take you into something, can take you out of something. Mm -hmm. You know, what's so fascinating along the lines of this Drake theme we're talking about and his AI generated voice. I wonder how Drake felt about that, how Kanye felt about his voice getting generated. Do people have legal use to use their voice and make music the musical artist Grimes recently said she would share proceeds 
with her AI generated voice. She's willing to lend her voice out for a small royalty. I think she said something like she'd split 50-50. Oh, 50-50 right? is her like split. That? Yeah. But I think that's brilliant. And I think that she's going to lead the charge. I mean, thinking of like when Radiohead said with their album in 2009, we're not going to go through a label. We're just going to go direct to our customer. And that created a stir in the industry. D2C, but as they call yeah, it. I think this is going to create a stir, this model where people want to license their voice out and work with other collaborators. I think there will be people who resent that <laughs> that model in the industry, but we'll see where it goes. These are the nascent days, right? These are the nascent days. You and I were talking in the car ride over. I was telling you about my LinkedIn life that I have as a legal tech professional and someone who likes to talk and listen and hypothesize about the future after studying the past. All of this is very in line with who I am. And I was telling you, I put a lot of content out on LinkedIn lately. Articles that interest me about empathy, soft skills, tech transformation, where my industry is going. It takes a lot of time. I want to train a bot to put out my content for me. The gen bot. The gen bot. And just so I can scale my time so I can do a little more of the writing based on what I care about and studying. The agent will study my historical LinkedIn and other thoughts, the AI will study, I don't know, the book I want to write and my manuscript thoughts. And then I'll train the baby over here to sound like me and talk and walk like me. How far away do you think that is for me to have the bot running my LinkedIn and intaking questions from my peers, maybe DMs and turning them into conversation? I don't think it's that far at all. The capabilities exist. We already know that large language models are great at ingesting a massive amount of textual data and then being able to answer questions about that data to generate new text based on that data. But one of the limitations of ChatGPT or any LLM is that it can only reflect the knowledge up to a certain point. There's a training date, like I think the one today is like March 13th, 2023. That's anything since then ChatGPT is just not going to know about. And you also can't expect to know everything about every facet of the world, especially private information. So let's say that you, Jen, like you have some social presence, you have quite a bit, I think, but you also may have a lot of journal entries or a manuscript that's not public. So I think the question is, how can you then, could you train a GPT to ingest not only your public information and the text that's already out there, but then maybe take in some of your private data that you've agreed to license and then create this kind of persona that reflects your tone, your knowledge, your... My humor, my way, my cares, reflects on my cares. You know, it'd be an interesting experiment if we did an AB or an ABC test where it's A, me on the LinkedIn. It's B, a trained GPT model on the LinkedIn acting as me. And C, it's a publicist acting as me. Let's get all three going out and see who sounds most like me. <laughs> if anyone can A-B test something, it's you and I. Yeah. I think what you're touching on is this is an area where I've got a lot of interest in not only seeing where this goes, these kind of personal GPTs, but also this is something I'm investing my time in is building out the infrastructure to do exactly this, which is, again, GPT has been trained on a lot of domains, but that doesn't mean it's going to know everything about everything. <laughs> It's not going to know everything about everyone. It's not going to know anything about private document repositories or domain-specific knowledge. So I see a huge opportunity here to apply this to specific individuals or specific domains to give a richer experience in those domains, 
to start bringing in more current knowledge or more topical knowledge to start interacting or maybe have modes of interaction that we haven't thought of yet to bring it into specific domains, let's say around travel or cooking or Really specific domains, songwriting, song production, legal precedent, turning the non-disclosure agreement into a totally world automated agreement because it's low risk, high volume and easy to get language going. Yeah. So much, Dave, so much here. Let's take them out on our last question prompt here, which is we started painting the picture of where this is going over the next few years. I started this journey of where this is all going. I actually did not have a picture painted. You were the first person to start painting it all. As far as I got before our conversation at dinner was, okay, GPT is going to wipe out all the mundane tasks of a lot of our jobs in software engineering, in legal drafting, legal administrating, and all the jobs in between. Maybe folks who are Photoshop pros who will draw a background art from scratch. I have a friend, Al, who works over at Nickelodeon Animation, and many of his early jobs were drawing the backgrounds on his cartoons. So that's going to be elevated a bit so he can get maybe more into story. Where are we going with all of this? Like, Can you fast forward us to 10 years out? Are the entry-level Photoshop background illustration jobs we know today, are those gone? They're gone. We're already seeing the application of AI-driven art in branding, logo development, stock imagery, and so forth. And this is something I'm thinking a lot about right now is trying to do this thought thought experiment of what does it do to the economy? This is my question. Where's the economy of labor going to go? Here's my opinion on graphic design Photoshop, Illustrator, et cetera, skills, that economy has already shifted out of the U.S. and has gone to Europe, Eastern Europe. That's where you can get amazing artists, graphic designers, background designers, video editors at a labor fraction of the cost of U.S. folks. It's not here as much. Would you agree with that? Or am I just like obsessed with Fiverr and I'm the only one outsourcing everything to that part of the world? Yeah. I mean, it feels like especially things like logo development or developing as a theme for a site that seems to have been solved by these inexpensive task economy workers on things like Fiverr. Yeah. But now, yeah, what happens to that when we can get what we want out of MidJourney or any of the AI art platforms? The answer is, I don't know. I think one thing I think about a lot is there's folks who are resistant to this change that might be surprised that their job is made redundant. And the unfortunate part is we're already seeing this happen. I just read an article the other day that folks, I remember the company, but cop, some copywriters were let go because they were able to get the same capabilities they needed out of GPT. Now, on the other hand, though, there might be still, currently, there's definitely still a need for an expert eye on any of the content that gets generated. So if I'm tasked to generate a logo today and I pull up MidJourney, which is an AI art platform, it's not like I can just enter the parameters of this logo and expect it to be right the first time. There's still going to have to be somebody who has that creative eye, who understands the brand, who understands the client and so forth to provide that layer of filtering on top of what comes out of these platforms. And I think at least in the near term, there's going to be a lot of need to still have the expert view on what comes out of the system. I think in the near term, the effect is going to be that these roles are going to scale like crazy. So somebody who might have been able to do one website design, one logo design per week 
maybe now they can do multiple in a day with the assistance, right, of AI. So that makes their job more productive in aggregate. But that said, I think there will be jobs that just unfortunately are made redundant. And I don't know what those are. Well, it's the most automatable, repeatable, all those early draft, all that early searching for the precedent. A person won't do that in the future. The machines will do it with the basic technology. And I always say this, that it'll lift up folks that we work with into higher growth ceiling roles and they can dream and expand and imagine and grow more. And no one will be stuck doing data entry in my legal realm because we want the machines to do that and people to have a better time. But I don't know. I tried it with song lyrics. It didn't work for me. I had to go back to the humans in the room, but maybe it's working in other areas. So economically, If it makes people more productive, they can do maybe 5x their work in a few years, 10x the amount of work, get 10 logos out a week. It could actually drive the economy into a better place because that's people and companies producing more, scaling to more efficiency, which I don't know, is the definition of your capitalistic free market society, which I think is the ideal. It could create more jobs for people, even though it's going to take some, it's going to give. And will it give more? I think so. I think we're only at the cusp of what we don't know. I tend to think that the biggest change here is going to be in productivity. And that's going to be across a lot of roles. I already mentioned what this is doing for software engineering. I think there's an official report in the last couple of days saying that It's making engineers about 1.4 times as productive, 40% more productive. In my personal experience, maybe it comes down to how effectively you can prompt these systems. I find myself three to five times more productive. So just imagine where we're going to be in five years. And I've already heard about folks out there who are doing what they call like no code software development, where they're literally doing everything through just feeding their requirements into GPT, having it write the code for them. So non-technical people are starting to get into the realm of software development now. Talk about not just scaling, but being more dynamic, being able to wear more hats and innovate. You can innovate a new startup idea at home with some GPT models at your fingertips and never have coded a day in your life. That's bonkers cool. Yeah. And imagine now in five years, if somebody who was not trained in any of these disciplines could suddenly write a song, write poetry, write software, and God knows what else, right? It's not out of the question. And they're not a poet. And they're not a poet. I could start my own startup. I learned programming in college. And that's when I learned I was a business person. Uh I was in C++ in the CS department and I cried. I was like, I can't do this. I could program Visual basic object oriented, I was fine. But when I got to C++, I wasn't fine. And that's when I knew I would skew business product or business management like I am now. But maybe I could do a startup as my next job after Netflix and just code it with the machine in a room. Go convince some VC people to back me and believe in me. I don't know, make career pathing live. I'm in startup mode right now, and I've found GPT to be amazingly useful across a lot of different tasks, helping me figure out domain names to buy, helping me figure out what my brand might be, helping me to draft messages, emails, and so forth to reach out to folks to network with, and then, of course, writing the code. I've found it to be, yeah, a fantastic tool, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're only 
a couple months into GPT-4 and only a couple of years into this whole idea of GPT or large language models. So the future is big and broad. So it sounds like the GPT is working for you. I wondered, we started this episode out thinking we'd work for our AI overlords. But right now, Dave, I think you're the overlord telling the GPT what to do as your assistant, your co-coder, your comms assistant, check my copy. So not yet, but are you ready? Are you ready for them to cede control or take over? Yeah. And I think this goes back a little bit to a topic we touched on before, which is this idea of, well, auto GPT or baby AGI, which sort of turned the control around. I just wanted to finish that thought a little bit here. So imagine if instead of a human just putting an input in and expecting some output from GPT, input, output. Imagine if you could set it onto a task and have it iterate on it without any human intervention. And the way this works is you basically, you have multiple GPTs working together or multiple large language models working together and you tell them to specialize. So you say, hey, GPT-1, you're the prioritization agent. Your only job in the world is to look at this list of tasks and to prioritize them in terms of which is going to be the most useful to do next. Then you have something like a context agent, which goes out and figures out the context for making the next request. So here's what I've learned so far. Provide that as context to the next request. And then you have like an execution agent, which is the thing that actually goes out and does the research. And this is creating a big stir right now in kind of the AI social media world. And this idea that you can literally just set it out on a task. So you say, hey, actually one of the first demos of this was... Somebody built a system like this with the specialized components and sort of this autonomous loop where the components work with each other without any human intervention. And they set it off on the task of start me a business that makes the most possible money. Well, TLDR, it didn't create a business that made the most money, but what you saw was kind of these little sparks of where this could go in a few years. Because you see this thing iterating with itself, essentially. You see the prioritization queue going, oh, hey, like, I think the next best thing to do is to actually go and research what some high profitability businesses are. And then, by the way, I'll go and do a Google search for that and then find the results, scrape them and so forth. I think of businesses that make the most money. Apple comes to mind. They have great revenue. Apple's founded on just innovation on innovation made in California ideas, all the history of that great company. To me, what you're describing sounds like the infrastructure, the staff of a company, but it's no Steve Jobs. It's no cantankerous Steve Jobs in a garage with Wozniak, just blowing things up and pushing the edge and drawing and creating. Yeah. Maybe it could create a business that becomes a really popular online blogger or something like that. In fact, that was a recent case study was someone used GPT to set up a, I believe it was like a green household products blog. That's what it was. He basically said, what would happen if I just said, hey, how do I become a famous online presence with monetizable AdWords and millions of followers? And GPT came back and said, well, the first step is I think green products has a fantastic niche right now. And here's the AdWords that you should use. Here's the SEO, how you can optimize your search keywords. Here's how you should monetize it with ads. Here's the format of the blog and so forth. And maybe it was a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy or maybe it's because he got a lot of followers as he laid out this process on Twitter, but he definitely 
built that presence pretty quickly on the instructions, purely on the instructions and the guidance of a large language model. Resource issues solved there. And you had me at curing cancer at dinner. And could these models do research and work on them on their own in a way that augments the humans driving the research studies that get there? We may have shaved time off some of these timelines that are unknown. They have unknown delivery dates because things mutate and we don't have every sickness mapped out to solution. To me, it's, I mean, I don't want to say it's obvious, but let's start the discussion with the fact that these have access to every medical journal paper ever written. So they, quote unquote, know something about, you know, they have a very, very deep level of purely informational knowledge about the medical field. Start with that. Now imagine that you could, again, kind of put this iterative loop around it and just tell it to go and research a specific problem, right? The thing that might be missing here is the ability to do physical experiments. If you look at a medical lab, they have access to research. They can probably recall it through some search, whatever. It takes a lot of time to do the actual physical test then on mice or whatever. In medical, and you need that. In psych, yeah. I know in psych journals, they're doing a lot of research on people and Those are studies that need to be designed that a model isn't going to run. But if you could augment this, I mean, we've already seen like DeepMind put out this thing called AlphaFold, which was actually able to simulate the way that certain protein molecules fold up on each other and interact with, let's say, a cell wall or another protein or whatever it might be. So they're starting to actually figure out how to model that physical world. And imagine supplementing something like the knowledge of every medical journal with the ability to actually test these things through some physical models. Set that thing off in a loop and tell it to, I mean, it's a bit obtuse, but like tell it to go cure a cancer, right? And it sounds like science fiction, but I don't think we're actually that far we're away. We're not that far <laughs> away. Well, I think it's promising. I'm liking where this is going. Curing cancer, resolving for resource issues, making us more efficient, which is my favorite thing, being a legal technology and operations person. Dave, thank you for coming on this podcast today and rapping with me. Absolutely. I think we covered some real ground and I am really open to future, the future unknown of all of this and where it's going to take us in our jobs. I'm excited about it. All right, let's go make some music. Awesome. That about wraps up this episode of Clock Talk. Thank you, Dave, for showing me just how expansive generative AI is and that we're still only getting started. You can catch this in other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time.